a blessing um, to gather together and, and remember and celebrate that Jesus is alive. And so let me pray again as we approach the Word and just ask the Lord to open our hearts to it. Father, thank You. You're good and everything You do is good and we, uh, we've seen that. We know that to be true. And so we praise You for Your power that's displayed so gloriously through Christ who died for our sins and was raised to life again, Lord. We praise You. We ask You to help. Help us in our time together around Your Word that You would open our hearts and give us faith to truly believe. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, the truth is, all of us know the story of Easter. Even if you are here and you don't yet believe the story of Easter, don't yet believe that Jesus died and and that He was raised from the dead, you know what's coming. You know where we're headed today. You know that this last Friday was a day of remembrance about Him dying on a cross, and you know that today, Easter is a day that we remember that He is alive, that on the third day, Christ rose from the grave. But I want us together, all of us, to imagine for just the minutes that we have together, the disciples, being those disciples, particularly the 11, the 12 minus Judas. They didn't, they didn't have the rest of the story, or at least they didn't understand the rest of the story. We're looking back on the resurrection of Jesus, and they they didn't have that luxury, and they didn't understand the words of Jesus that He had given them so clearly when He was on earth, they didn't understand. And, And so, do you remember what they were doing on Sunday morning? They were hiding. Luke 24, verse 11 says this, These words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. Now, what words is Luke referring to? Well, it tells us in the first part of Luke 24, they were told that Jesus was no longer in the tomb. And it says of them, these words, that Jesus was no longer in the tomb, that He was alive seemed an idle tale, a fairy tale, an empty story. They didn't believe it. They were hiding. Their king, their hope, was dead. These brokenhearted disciples, friends of Jesus, eyewitnesses to His majesty, were hiding. If you consider these followers of Christ, those who eyewitnessed all of the things that He did on this earth, Saturday must have been the saddest and hardest day of their lives. Can you imagine? But it didn't stay Saturday. It wasn't the end of their lives. Sunday came. And this is what we learn from the Scriptures concerning Sunday morning, the day when Jesus was raised. I'm not going to have you turn there. I'm going to read through the narrative of this from different passages. And so just listen 
But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise? And they remembered his words, and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. And the other disciples, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the Scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, For I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And he had said these things to her. But even in that, we know from the Scriptures that these broken-hearted disciples To them, it still seemed like an idle tale. I'm going to pause here in the story and remind you, if you're here and you struggle with unbelief, a way to fight unbelief, living like this story that we rejoice in, is nonsense. 
A way to fight unbelief is listening and looking to Jesus until He reveals Himself to you. The Scriptures are His Word. And Jesus tells us that God's Word is truth. And that He's revealed Himself to us through the Word. And so if you're here and you're doubting, I would encourage you, read. Read the Scriptures. Entrust yourself to the Scriptures. Just read. Read with someone else who can encourage you in the Scriptures. But read and seek His voice and seek His face. The story goes on. Luke 24 tells us that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus Himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing Him. And He said to them, What is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered Him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it's now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into His glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, He interpreted to them in all the Scriptures the things concerning Himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if He were going farther, but they urged Him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent." So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the Scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. He was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Another way that we can fight doubt and unbelief, fight living as if the gospel is nonsense, is by taking communion in a worthy manner. We do that weekly here 
We're going to read the text on that before we do in a bit. But we see in the Scriptures that we can fight doubt and unbelief by listening to Him through His Word and by obeying Him in things like taking the Lord's Supper. It goes on in the narrative, John 20, verses 19 and following. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now, Thomas, one of the twelve called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hand, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger in the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. And put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. This is a glorious story in the resurrection. This is grace. Grace. We all struggle with doubt. We all struggle with difficulty. Thomas walked with Jesus and said, unless I touch and see I will never believe. Now, how would we respond to someone who said that? Would we write them off? Jesus doesn't. Eight days later, I love that. Eight days later, they're in a room with the doors locked again because they're afraid. They're scared of what the Jews will do to them because they saw what what they did to Jesus. They're doubtful and fearful. And Jesus comes to them again and goes to Thomas and tells him, touch and see and believe and know that is grace. There's nothing, nothing in Thomas that deserves that. Just like there's nothing in us that deserves that kind of grace. And yet he's so gracious He's alive. These disciples rejoiced. If you read farther into the story as you go through the book of Acts, they rejoiced 
in the fact that Jesus was alive. The Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, 5 through 17, that, that Jesus appeared to Peter and then to the twelve, and then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom, Paul says, are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James and to all the apostles. He rose from the dead, and it wasn't hidden. There were eyewitnesses to him being alive. In fact, Paul goes on and says, you can check for yourselves. There's many of the 500 who are still alive. Later in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says that if Christ had not risen, we have no hope. Our faith is futile. Our faith is in vain. And Paul says the things that we we preach, they're nothing. They don't matter. But he doesn't stop there. He goes on and he says this, but in fact, Christ has been raised. And he goes on throughout 1 Corinthians 15 to tell us the the enormous impact that that ought to have on our lives. And to celebrate this morning, I want to focus on two reasons that we rejoice. Not just today, not just because this is Easter, but every day if we are in Christ. Two reasons that we rejoice because of the resurrection and because of who Jesus is. Number one is because Jesus Christ conquered sin and the resurrection assures us of that. On the cross, Jesus absorbed the wrath of God. The Bible refers to that as something called propitiation, where God's wrath is absorbed by a sacrifice. And the sacrifice, the Bible teaches us, tells us, is Jesus. God's wrath is so great that even His perfect Son trembled while facing the cup that would be poured out on him. You remember that in the Garden of Gethsemane. He prayed that it might pass and sweat drops like blood, it says. And that wrath is deserved by each of us. And yet, do we realize the fullness of what we have been saved from? Christ knew, and in the Garden, He pleaded Paul writes in Colossians chapter 2, verses 12 through 15, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands that this he set aside nailing it to the cross he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him how do we respond to that paul says because he died and because he was raised No one can accuse you of anything. You are clean. You are forgiven of all of your sins. They have been nailed to the cross. And you are alive with Him. 
We ought to respond to that kind of love. We ought to rejoice and surrender joyfully with deep and sincere worship. And I would ask you this morning, is that how you are living in response to Jesus being alive? And secondly, we rejoice because the resurrection assures us that Jesus Christ conquered death. It is nothing for us to fear now. Now, what does that mean? Six things quickly. It means, first of all, new birth and living hope. Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Because Jesus is alive, because Jesus was raised from the dead, we have new birth, we're new creations, and we have a hope now and forever. Second, it means forgiveness. Jesus Christ conquered death, and that means forgiveness for us. 1 Corinthians 15, 17, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. But, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. Third, it means no condemnation. No condemnation. Romans 8, verse 34, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. That's why he says in Romans 8.1, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Fourth, Christ conquering death means proof of a coming judgment. Acts 17.31, because He has fixed the day on which He will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom He has appointed, and of this He has given assurance to all by raising Him from the dead. The Bible tells us there is a day that's coming where Christ will judge the earth. And His resurrection is proof of that. But fifth, His resurrection is also proof that there's salvation from future wrath. 1 Thessalonians 1.10, and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. And Romans 5.10, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more now we are reconciled, we who are reconciled shall be saved by His life. And lastly, Jesus conquering death means life forevermore. 2 Corinthians 4.14, knowing that He who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into His presence. We ought to be people who rejoice and surrender joyfully with deep, sincere worship. We needed both. We needed the crucifixion, and we needed the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
If there's no resurrection, we are still in our sins. That's what 1 Corinthians 15, 17 says. And if there's no crucifixion, then Jesus lives now, but we suffer the wrath of God forever. Thanks be to God that He came and He gave His life in our place. And He didn't stay dead. He was raised forevermore. Let me say... In closing, the things we receive because Jesus is alive, forgiveness, no condemnation, salvation from future wrath, life forevermore, those things are only for those who are in Christ. Those who have seen how good and glorious the gospel of Jesus is and have surrendered themselves completely to Him, believing completely and only in the work that He accomplished on the cross and through the resurrection. There's nothing, there's nothing that Thomas could do, there's nothing that we could do to deserve to be forgiven. But Christ gives freely. He absorbed God's wrath so that we could go free. If you've never trusted in Him, I would encourage you, just as Jesus did Thomas, believe. Stop doubting and believe. And for those of us who trust and believe in Christ, rejoice. He's alive. We're going to go into a time where we take the Lord's Supper. I remind you of the road to Emmaus where the two disciples responded that He was known to them in the breaking of bread. It's a blessing. It's a blessing for us to take the bread and the cup together each week. We remember his suffering and death, and we remember that he's alive. In fact, Paul tells us in the text I'm going to read that each and every time we take the bread and the cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes, which is an act of believing that he's alive, that he was raised. Paul writes this concerning the Lord's Supper. In the following instructions, I do not commend you because when you come together, it's not for the better but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat, for in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What, do you not have houses to eat and drink in, or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That's why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. 
But when we are judged by the Lord, we're disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone's hungry, let him eat at home so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. As Paul writes this, he gives us hope and he gives us warning. And I want to encourage you, if you're here this morning and you don't know Christ, you don't have a relationship with him, I would encourage you, just let the bread and the cup pass. What we do when we take the the bread and the cup is is exactly what Paul uh, writes here. We're remembering. We're remembering something that we identify with, that we rejoice in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ because we know him, we love him, and he's brought salvation to us through that. If you don't rejoice in that, then, then I would encourage you, just let it pass. Those are just symbols. They're just Uh, reminders of what Christ did. But I would encourage you, as you let them pass, pass, rather than partaking of the elements, partaking of the bread and the cup, consider today partaking of Jesus, trusting in Him, surrendering your life to Him, believing in the gospel that we rejoice in. Let me pray, and the ushers are going to come and pass out as we sing together. Father, thank You Thank you, thank you for your goodness and grace. Grace that was shown to Thomas in a room where they were hiding. Grace that was shown to us in so many places and unique ways, Lord. Grace that saves. Grace that makes us alive. Even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, we praise you and thank you. And Jesus, we know it is all because you are alive. And it's proof that you're alive. And so we praise you and we thank you. And we rejoice in knowing you. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.